Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras. Welcome back to the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris. I am joined, as always, by Nathan Oblak and Dr. Joe Boot. It's good to be together again this week, guys. So we're uh, we're here today, and I just kind of want to bring a co- bring up a couple of things that uh, that have been floating around the Canadian press lately, as we consider our own unique historical moment. Uh, Bill C six, which we've talked about at length in other episodes, and just by way of a quick reminder, this is the conversion therapy bill, the bill that would criminalize anyone who counsels or advertises to counsel or seeks to attain counseling for someone else who wants to uh, to act and live and identify in accordance with their biological sex. So that, that's Bill C-6, the conversion therapy bill. That is in its, or entering at any, any moment now, its third reading mm-hmm. Uh, in Parliament, so we've been we've been staring at that for six months anyway. Um, the uh, the province of Ontario, where we're at, has just extended the current and third, fourth, I don't know uh, mm-hmm. which uh, which number of lockdown we're on. Losing track of the waves, it's like being I, a surfer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think surfers hold on a little better. <laughs> they have a good stat for when they come in. They know how many waves they've been through. <laughs> but we're uh, so we're we're in the midst of you know, I guess we're now on the early end of what is becoming a a 6 week for now lockdown. Mm-hmm. And at the which brings uh, us back to a maximum of 10 in our churches. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the at the federal level, uh, we've got Prime Minister Trudeau uh, working to and talking about uh, invoking the Federal Emergency Powers Act, which uh, is basically a revision of the War Measures Act, grants increased decision-making authority to people farther away, uh, further removed from the situation on the ground, all, which always tends to a kind of you know one-size-fits-nobody policy for uh, what, whatever kind of management or relief or... Uh, some unaccountable legislator making decisions for people far removed. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, all that to say, I mean, we, we don't want to overestimate our hardship, but things are not going great. And uh, you could add to that the uh, the federal budget as well, which the is federal a sort budget, of socialist grab bag. Brought sure. out yesterday, that's right. Mm-hmm. Just another hundred billion. Yeah, I. those numbers don't even make sense at that scale. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Throw all of that in. But hey, and, I mean, uh, you know, we could be optimistic. There's no UBI in there. There's no oh. universal basic income yet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, that that was on the table. So. <laughs> it was. Uh, here, here we are. Uh, you know, teaching, writing, speaking about the victory of the gospel in history, hmm. uh, about uh, the present rule of King Jesus over every area of life. Uh, so, Joe, I guess the uh, the question in all of that to open up this session is, uh, how dare you? Like, <laughs> how do we get with the program? Yeah how do how do we balance this bad news with a confidence in the victory of the gospel? Mm-hmm. Um, how and then I mean, 
maybe maybe you can start there and we can uh, sure. we can work our way out from that. Well, I think first we have to do our best to put the present situation that the church in the West is going through into the broader biblical context. I think soci- sociologically, one of the difficulties that we have in in the modern West now is that we have a very, very short-term mentality. And, uh, you know, if we're, not, uh, if we're not president of our organization three years after being hired, you know, something's wrong. Uh, maybe there's something wrong with the organization. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we don't have a... Uh, uh, we typically don't have a long-term view of things. It's, we, we live in a, an instant gratification culture uh, and we think um, not so much anymore in terms of the a sort of covenant between past, present, and future in our social and cultural life, but in terms of um, the immediate, the individual, and uh, well, really in terms of the, we, we're kind of in the grip of a sort of historicism, which really just says everything is history. There are no... Um, Abind, uh, abiding norms and standards. There's change, but there's no real constancy. And uh, that tends to, this sort of uh, relativistic spirit does have an impact upon Christians, uh, where we start to wonder whether there's any real overarching meaning or purpose in these things. Maybe the best course is simply just to get out of history, to escape mm-hmm. history, because it's just sort of meaningless flux. Um but uh, we need to step back from that at the outset and say, in terms of God's perspective, in terms of the scriptural perspective, history begins at creation, um, and it moves in terms of God's ordained purpose to the consummation uh, of, of the kingdom of God. And in between those two bookends, there is constancy and there is change. And... Uh, we have to, uh, the first thing is we have to take the long view. So you're right that we as Christians tend to, to, to see a situation like that and say, oh, there's a, seemingly there's a contradiction there between mm-hmm. the, the victory of Christ, the, the truth of the gospel, the power of the kingdom. And we forget texts like everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that only that which cannot be shaken will remain. Um, this is the book of Hebrews, God is shaking the heavens and the earth again. Uh, and from a covenantal point of view, as we look at scripture, God is also uh, actively at work in history to judge the nations. So righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So from a, the, I think the first thing is to recognize that we have to be able to uh, not simply look at our own immediate situation and say, gosh, doesn't this show that there's no hope for history? No, uh, Jesus must be coming back next week, or at least mm-hmm. uh, he better had, uh, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, Canada's having some problems, mm-hmm. uh, or the US or the United Kingdom or wherever we are, as though the only thing that really matters is the 70 or 80 years that I'm around mm-hmm. and the immediate condition of the church and the culture in the time that I'm there. And if it's not yeah. hunky-dory and, and if there's any kind of struggle, then maybe actually 
you know, wow, this is the historical moment. It's very self-centered if you think mm-hmm. about it. If there's anything left undone. Right. There can't be anything left to do because, well, I, you know, um, my, my time doesn't look the way I thought it should or would, mm-hmm. or I don't have much time left. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, maybe, you know, uh, the Perusia is just around mm-hmm. the corner. And so then we start per- taking sorry, on Joe, Perusia, the second coming mm-hmm. of the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we can then start to think, in these very immediate terms, mm-hmm. as though the church has not gone through difficulties or hardships, Christians not labored through problems um, throughout the centuries right across the globe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, we're in a very challenging spot now. And as you look at the legislation you've talked about, Ryan, and Bill C-6, and we've talked about Bill C-7, and we mm-hmm. think about uh, the the current situation for the church right now in Canada and mm-hmm. parts of the West, and Vaccine passports. Vaccine oh, passports, the, the, yeah. the federal budget, mm-hmm. the, the Emergency Powers Act, and all these sort of looming threats. Yes, people can start thinking it's the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and in a certain sense, there is an apocalyptic element because apocalypse is about appearing. And whenever God judges in history, uh, he is appearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is making his... Uh, righteous will and purpose no we can t- we can talk about that in a bit more detail but i think at the outset that's what i'd want to say is let's mm-hmm. not be quite so self-focused um and recognize that like many of our forebears we need to be in this for the long game you know mm-hmm. sometimes we have to be ready to plant trees the shade of which we will never sit in mm-hmm. and we may be sat here at times thinking well we're plugging away here talking about the kingdom of god and the lordship of christ and look what's going on currently in our culture kind of the height of arrogance to say therefore that must mean the kingdom of god and the lordship of christ aren't real in our time mm-hmm. you know because you know i'm having a, t- a tough time of it or the right. church is having a tough time of it maybe actually it's the opposite what's going on right now is that god is judging his people and his church and actually we're seeing the arm of the lord being revealed mm-hmm. and that he's sweeping an apostate culture aside to replace it with something different so i think we need a more humble approach to that question Mm -hmm. and a a better perspective on the limited place we have believe Mm -hmm. it or not shock horror in the vast (laughs) scope of god's work in history yeah you you see quite a different trajectory when you look back at history and think of it in 500 year segments quite Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know you in fact if you go back to the the turn of the millennium uh, do you remember the Millennium Bug and uh, Y2K, Y2K. Was sort of yeah. all of the stuff yeah. that was going on 20, 21 years ago now? I remember all of that. That was going to be the end of the world as well. Um, I was living in England at the time. And, uh, of course, you know, at various major cultural upheavals, you know, uh, the First World War, the Second World War. Uh, you go back to the period of the, the Reformation. And as mm. the Reformers looked at the Church of Rome and its apostasy, uh, they saw in that the Antichrist. Um, so there's been periods, as you say, every 500 years at least, mm-hmm. uh, where we have this sort of uh, sense that, gosh, what's going on? But it's God, as Scripture promises, mm-hmm. shaking the nations. Right. And, um, of course, we have seen one of, the, one of the unique things we've seen in our era, especially over the last you know, 60, 70 years, uh, the massive, the speed of the advancement of technology has been remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I do think that at times that adds to people's sense of 
uh, fear um, uh, that, uh, well, this was what happened at the, the Tower of Babel, of course. Mm. The, you, ha- you have in our own time a sense that the, the whole world is communicating. There's an international language that is for business and commerce is spoken, it's English. Uh, we have the world seems smaller because of our technological abilities in terms of communication. Uh, people are able to cooperate and collaborate together, and that, of course, gives the possibility for greater evil. Mm-hmm. Um, but God dealt with Babel uh, as a monument to man's pride and nothing being beyond him. And somehow I think we get the sense in our era that, well, nothing, what's going to be beyond man and his wickedness and evil with the advancement of technology? But we have to remember that, that um, power in and of itself, technology is an expression of human cultural formation it's formative power in a culture power in itself is not demonic and i think mm-hmm. we have got to, to rid ourselves as christians of this sense that somehow a power is unchristian whether it's political power cultural power technological power i mean god is all powerful that doesn't make him evil power in itself is necessary various forms of power in human life are absolutely necessary to live and the cultural mandate to rule and subdue uh, that was given to us by our Creator, by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, involved cultural formation and power. The the issue, the challenge, is that there are two spirits at work in the world. There's two directions at work in the world. We talk about this a lot as an institute, don't we? Mm-hmm. There there are two uh, directions for cultural formation. And it's the city of God and it's the city of man. It's the spirit of apostasy and the spirit of faithfulness. It's the, it's the children of obedience and the spirit that's work in the children of disobedience. So there is a, in history, there is a constant struggle going on for the control of the direction of history, cultural formation. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're in a season, in a time where at the moment uh, the spirit of apostasy in our culture uh, has the upper hand, um, has been allowed to have the upper hand, I should say, Mm -hmm. um, because God is always active in history to judge in terms of his purpose, in terms of his will, and in terms of his covenant. As the prophet Isaiah says, the world uh, stands condemned because it's violated the everlasting covenant. It sits under a curse. So the... The, the fact is we live in the grip of this struggle and sometimes it's painful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah. it's painful to live in the grip of this struggle. One of the, um, I, I, I hope I haven't quoted this before on our podcast. I probably have. I may have, but if it bears repeating. Mm-hmm. Well, the, one of, one of the, um, uh, my favorite quotes is, is, is I actually glued into my Bible. It's Abraham Kuyper talking about this. And uh, he says, our God and king will never negotiate a truce with his enemy, nor will he retreat from the battlefield. He maintains his forces against his opponents and never wavers. That's how it was when you and I were children. So it remains now that we are adults and it continues into our old age. When we die and depart, the battle will continue over our graves and there will be no end until he who opens all graves returns. And I think sometimes we need to toughen up a bit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we've kind of got that 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 cu- the cultural influence again of 
you know, we're an, we're an entertainment oriented culture. We like our ease. We like the provision of the state. We like a sense of safety and protection. Uh, we don't want to, uh, we're not accustomed to, to the battle and the struggle us Gen Xers and millennials, the what's next, the Z generation. I can't even keep up anymore. Uh, <laughs> the, we're not accustomed to this mm. and we need to toughen up a bit mm. and, and recognize that this battle is going to go on throughout our lives and mm. it will continue over our graves. And that struggle for cultural formation goes on until he who opens all graves returns. Mm. And Joe, as you talk about struggle and persecution, you can't help but think about the church in China right now. And interestingly enough, when history looks back at this period of Chinese history, they're going to see a church that is growing significantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we don't know what's ahead for, I mean, the missi missiologists have observed and pointed out now for, for many years that the center of Christianity has shifted to the global South. Mm -hmm. It's not the center of the Christian faith is no longer Europe. Mm. Uh, northern Northern Europe and 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 um, the America uh, and the United States of America and Canada, it shifted to the South, mm -hmm. and with all the weaknesses that are present in the, those churches, God is powerfully at work. We don't know whether thirty years from now China uh, might not emerge as the world's largest Christian nation mm -hmm. and start to shape the world for good in a manner that we have not even imagined or thought possible right now. Uh, we don't know whether God will do a work of reformation and revival in the United States or Canada. Um, what we do know is that we live in a very difficult period of, of, of an age of revolution uh, against the word of God. And that means that we have this uh, exciting, challenging cultural task. And it isn't easy. And sometimes it may keep us up at night as we think about our children and our future. And it means we have to think strategically. And there's all kinds of things involved in that. Uh, but it absolutely does not mean pessimism, mm. retreat, defeat, and eschatologies of escape so that I don't have to bear the burden that the Lord has laid upon me in the struggle for the direction of culture in my time as though power itself is demonic. So we retreat from all areas of cultural influence. No. Power is not demonic. It contains nothing demonic. It's all to do with the direction to which we put that cultural power. And actually, Scripture says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, mm -hmm. and of a sound mind. Yeah. And of course, we can juxtapose that right now with a lot of secular worldviews that believe, you know, the solution right now is to strip people of power and redistribute it. Yeah. Yeah, we're afraid of, uh, it seems that we're afraid of um, a concentration of power anywhere except in the hands of the state, which has, mm. been, which has been historically mm. the worst place to put it. Mm. Uh, but that seems to be where the confidence of our age lies, is that you strip the family, you strip the church, strip um, uh, business, private business, uh, strip the vocations um, of their independence and their power, and centralize all of that power and authority and wealth mm. in one institution. And we've talked about that a lot too. Uh, but that's the danger of our era is the mm. power state. But that's ever been the danger. It was the danger in, among, in the pagan nations that surrounded Israel. It was the danger that confronted the early church. We've enjoyed since the Reformation in particular, but really since you know around the year 1100, um, we've enjoyed... Uh, tremendous freedom from the power state 
And now it's re-emerging in our time, especially since the French Revolution, and that's why we're really starting to feel it. And mm-hmm. and we should be deeply concerned about it. There's, we we should be. Mm-hmm. I'm not minimizing the threat of our moment or yeah. the threat of our age at all. But uh, um, but neither um, am I afraid of the future of the kingdom of God um, or for the future of Christ's church, because Christ will build his church. And we know what his commission is. It's right there in Matthew 28. And Jesus begins that commission by reminding us of perhaps the most important thing. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. nothing that is taking place uh, right now is is outside of the supervening sovereign authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, he is going to have the victory. And of course, we all know where this uh, wraps up. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the last enemy, the very last enemy, when Christ hands over the kingdom to to God, the Father, which, and I think the order there is important, and I encourage our listeners to take a look at 1 Corinthians 15. You don't see Christ there handing over a dilapidated, destroyed, hanging by a thread world belonging to Satan where Mm -hmm. there's this... um, small band of terrified holdouts mm. uh, being given to the Father. No. Mm. You see this context in which Christ, who is the ruler of the kings of the earth, bringing about his kingdom purposes, working amongst his people in history, hands over the kingdom to the Father, and the final enemy that then is defeated is death itself. Mm. So let's make sure that as we, and maybe we can talk about this in a moment, but let's make sure that as we think about a philosophy of history, of a Christian philosophy of history, um, we get the bookends right. We keep in mind, you know, creation as something which, you know, we say it at the end of every episode, for from him Mm -hmm. and through him and to him are all things. Mm -hmm. Creation and God's ordinances, creation is meaning. It moves in terms of his ordained purpose. We can rest in that. Uh, and at the the conclusion of all things, because eschatology is not simply about the second coming of Jesus, which is where we tend to put it. It's about the meaning of all of history. And, the, and as, as history wraps up, as we look at it in the pages of Scripture, it's about the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, uh, the, the, the presence of God, God once again tabernacling, making his dwelling, Revelation 21, face to face with us again, which is why we have this image of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven into the earth uh, so that this uh, temporary futility and frustration to which creation has been subjected is finally undone in its complete, it's, and, and that work, uh, that that undoing is finished uh not just in principle, as it's already finished in principle. Christ said, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm nearly there, I'm partially done, I'm sort of getting there, we're, we're on the way. You know, No, he said, it's finished. And the temple curtain was rent. That means this very day, everything necessary for paradise to be restored is done. And that, of course, inevitably meant the shattering of the grave itself, death and the grave, which could not hold him. It meant the... the uh, ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in that uh, moment where the disciples are stood there 
looking and they're getting their the final words of commission all authority belongs to mm -hmm. where christ is telling them about his authority and sending them out to all the nations to teach them baptize mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. uh everything he's commanded and then of course the session of the lord jesus christ where stephen sees the lord at the right hand of the father mm -hmm. which is the place of absolute power and authority where he puts his feet on his enemies in history mm -hmm. That's the finished work. It's in principle, it's done. The power of the new creation is here. At the very end, everything that can be shaken has been shaken, and that only that which can't be shaken then remains. Mm. So, okay, we're in a period of shaking. It's uncomfortable. Mm. It's difficult. Uh, but Christ is working out his purposes through his people in history. And um, that's, that is why hope we live in terms of hope. We walk by faith, not by sight. Mm. Um, and hope that we see right now isn't hope at all. Uh, we wouldn't need to hope for it. It's it's that as we walk in terms of obedience and faith, we're happy, we're confident to leave the historical results of our labor right now to God. Right. So if, if my book, Mission of God, or Gospel Culture, or my new book on politics, or any of these things were only ever read by a handful of people, maybe it might be read by somebody grandson or granddaughter who becomes tremendously influential in a moment in in history where uh, god is at work in a different way mm. um and uh you know there's it's i would put it in terms of the ezra nehemiah paradigm you've got ezra calling a rebellious people back to the lord uh back to his word and you've got nehemiah who then comes uh, and asks for volunteers for the rebuilding mm. of the city and um we're certainly it certainly feels like we're in an ezra moment right now mm -hmm. uh, but maybe it's our children and our grandchildren who do the nehemiah work we just don't know but i'm content yeah. to leave that in the hands of god yeah absolutely you know history i forget uh where where it's uh where it comes from but it's a commonplace that history has been called the greatest story ever told god's act in history mm -hmm. the the thing that makes a story great is you know the the presence of real danger and overcoming that mm -hmm. and like how how are we gonna how is he gonna get out of this you know look at uh, like Hel Battle of Helm's Deep in, mm -hmm. uh, the Lord of yeah. the Rings mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. this is uh, yep. these are <laughs> this is a dark and difficult thing right like doesn't make it makes the story greater that's at, right to, mm -hmm. at the end yeah I mean imagine uh, the Lord of the Rings without uh, the those battles those struggles mm -hmm. for for all of the all of those characters i mean it'd be a pretty dull story mm -hmm. if uh, if it was um, just one great declaration of the return of the king right uh it's right. it's you the can't leapfrog to that no yeah. it's the it's the struggle that m makes the story so uh marvelous and it's interesting to note that really we keep talking about history but the idea of history as something where you have a beginning point and you make progress to an end point is we owe that idea to the bible right yeah. because in pagan antiquity the greeks view and the, and the view of eastern philosophy is a world uh, is a, is a is a a notion of endless cycles of mm -hmm. recurrence mm -hmm. there was no possibility right. of getting a genuine concept of history out mm -hmm. of that right mm -hmm. uh, it's just endless cycles mm -hmm. of uh, recurrence and and uh, historicism which i mentioned earlier the notion that well everything is is 
history. Now think about that for a moment from a philosophical standpoint. If everything is just the ebb and flow of history, but there's no constancy within it, no God who is at work in terms of core um, principles, whether they're moral, religious, faith principles, that uh, God is working in a lawful way, that's the principle of constancy that we have from a biblical standpoint. If history is just change, then how could anything have a history? I mean, how would you, ha- if everything is history, how do you have a history of art or a history of the church mm-hmm. or a history of anything? Mm-hmm. Because you've just made morality, logic, faith, art, science identical with history itself. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the amazing thing about the biblical view is that we have the, there's there's a there's a commission given to our first parents to to rule and subdue but to also develop the resources of creation so we're to tend and to keep so there's a conserving mm-hmm. there's a constancy mm-hmm. but we're also to develop uh and bring out the potentialities of creation and this is where we get that in fact uh, actually it was the canadian philosopher george grant who recognized that the very idea of creation is the thing that gives you the idea of historical progress. Mm. Creation has a purpose and a meaning. You couldn't get there with the Eastern philosophers, with paganism. And actually our own culture, especially in Marxism, tries to take over. Mm -hmm. It tries to secularize this view Mm -hmm. of the kingdom of God, which is what the cultural mandate is about, Mm -hmm. rule and subdue, be a vicegerent under God in terms of God's will and purpose. Christ comes to reestablish us in terms of the kingdom of God, that's why it's called the gospel of the kingdom, bring the rule of God into our lives that we then, in the reconciling work of Christ, extend. We, we do the works of God. We do the works of him who sent us. Of him who sent him, John 9, Jesus includes us in those works. So uh, this idea of progress being made in history is a Christian idea that our Western culture hasn't freed itself from. It's just tried to secularize it. So we talk about progressivism. And for the Marxist, all that happens is that you secularize the idea of the kingdom of God, Mm -hmm. and now man is going to recreate himself and save himself through work, and there is going to be this moment of where we're moving towards the revolution, the final revolution um, of ultimate historical realization where this utopia if you will is ushered in another theme that we deal with quite uh, we quite regularly um and marx recognized that that this brings us into a struggle but he saw history marx saw history specifically as a revelation not of god and he says this explicitly not a revelation of god but of man that all of history mm. is a revelation not of god but of man we mm. say the opposite mm-hmm. History ultimately is about the revelation of God's will and purpose in his judgments and covenantal purpose, beginning with creation, ending in the, ending in the recreation. Marx wants a, 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 a new creation, a new man, um, but that is the work of man himself and is a revelation of man in history, bringing about man's final utopia. So you see that in the West, we still have this idea that we are moving towards a goal. You think mm-hmm. about why Western culture developed so rapidly compared to other parts of the world we talk about the developed world and the undeveloped world Mm. right and the way we shared those developments over time that has helped other cultures come up now why is that 
Well, it was actually because of this biblical understanding, the Christian understanding of history. Mm-hmm. You don't look. You don't say, "Well, it's just a karmic principle that you're in the condition that you're in, and this culture's in the mess that it's in." You're you're in the court in an endless cycle of recurrence. Mm-hmm. You don't say, "Inshallah, mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. fatalism." Yeah. No, in the Christian view, there is a kingdom obligation to faithfulness and obedience because we have a view of progress. In terms of the kingdom of God, constancy and change. That's mm-hmm. why we can talk about historical progress, cultural progress, social progress. That's why we talk about social reform, social mm-hmm. reform. In terms of what? You don't mm-hmm. just leave, say, well, you know, that's your caste, you're left there, tough luck. You're paying off um, past the result of past lives. No, it's given to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You look at all the parables of Jesus about the kingdom of God. What do they tell you? They tell you that you have human beings uh, who are given uh, talents. They're given responsibility, and they have to go and invest it. They have to invest their life in something meaningful. Um, and if your treasure is in the wrong place, your works, Scripture says, are going to be burnt up like wood, hay, stubble, straw. It's only those things that, the, that are wrought in Christ in terms of his kingdom that actually get through the judgment. So when you look at the way Jesus talked about the kingdom, it, the images are of growth and progress. He didn't say that, you know, the kingdom of God is like a shrinking violet. He said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Mm. Uh, the kingdom of God, um, he didn't say it's like a decaying apple. Uh, he says it's like uh, leaven in a loaf. Mm-hmm. cause it to rise and grow. So all of the images that we get of the kingdom of God from the Lord Jesus himself are, you know, are images of growth and development. When the Greeks finally came to Jesus at the end, uh, and is it um, Philip? I think it's Philip at the end there, and maybe it's Philip and Nathaniel. But two of the disciples, I think it's Philip, take uh, this, the, the go to Jesus and say the Greeks... Uh, want have come they want to speak with you yeah and there's this remarkable statement that jesus uh makes at this point he says um when i am lifted up i will draw all men to myself it seems like he doesn't give a direct uh, answer to the Mm -hmm. question that they want to speak with you um but but he talks about the the judgment of the world having come now is the ruler of this world going to be cast out and when he is lifted up, he's going to draw all men to himself. That's an image of progress, mm. of development in history. The, the Great Commission is an image of progress and development in history. That's why the West got on the trajectory that it did compared mm. to um, the, the rest of the world. And, of course, it's that trajectory and that, that we now hate as, a, mm-hmm. as we're repaganizing. Mm-hmm. We right. hate our history. Yeah. We despise it. You're evil yeah. if you yeah. say anything good about Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, we, we need to repent of it. We need to repent yeah. of our past mm-hmm. yeah. and of our uh, of our privilege and everything else. Mm-hmm. Well, that was only given to us by the grace of God uh, with this image of the kingdom of God. Now, what's happened is we've secularized it, we've bastardized it, mm-hmm. we've stripped it of its kingdom content, mm-hmm. and now we want a man-made egalitarian, equalitarian utopia because man recreates himself after his mm-hmm. own idea. Mm-hmm. So you can see how this is just a parody yeah. of the kingdom of God. Yeah, you and can't get away from it. Can't get away no, from you it. You just got right. It's an inescapable yeah. concept. Yeah, that's right. And it was Marx who said, 
you know, that the very purpose of philosophy, he said, we've thought about it up till now, he says, as, you know, um, uh, trying to um, analyze the world. Hmm. Uh, what does he say here? I've got it in one of my citations here. Um, the proper goal of true philosophy does not simply interpret as all philosophies up till, uh, up till now. On the contrary, philosophy changes the state of affairs. Philosophy, he says, emancipates, by which you meant, hmm. frees, frees man. Um, well, actually, Leslie Newbegin, the British missiologist, the late mm. British missiologist, offers the counter to that. He says the church was not sent into the world to explain the world, but to change it. Mm. I like that mm -hmm. because what explains reality is actually the kingdom of God. <laughs> and right. the kingdom of God is about changing things. And that's the marvel of the gospel, but that's what brings us into the struggle. And because in our culture, we're so comfortable, Christians have been so comfortable for so long, we don't like the struggle. We tend to want to back away from it, to abandon culture. We tend to want to flee from it. We tend to want to construct multiple kingdoms so that we don't actually have to be uh, in, living in this world. We're not actually living in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. We want to shunt it off somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Then we can evade cultural responsibility of evade the obligations of the cultural mandate uh, and ultimately, of course, of the Great Commission itself uh, because there's all kinds of discipleships implied in there. If we're teaching the nations everything Christ has commanded, then there is, of course, cultural, cultural discipleship, social discipleships, uh, scientific discipleship, political discipleship, uh, legal discipleship. It's all bringing itself into subjection to Christ. And that, of course, is what the Bible says about what's going on in history that Christ must reign until he's put all things under his feet. Mm -hmm. um, that's what Psalm 110 is about. It's what Psalm 2 is mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. yep. These are the most cited passages, by the way, in the New Testament from the Old Testament, Psalm 110. They're mm -hmm. about the rule and reign of Christ. Mm -hmm. And this is the message of the Christmas period, which we recently went through in Isaiah 9, mm -hmm. of the increase. That doesn't sound like decrease to me. It doesn't say of the decrease of his government and peace, there'll be no end until we are raptured out of the world. It of says the parallel growth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of the parallel growth of the kingdom, there will be no end. No, it's of the increase of his government, his ever-expanding government of peace, mm -hmm. there shall be no end. Mm -hmm. he, um, uh, that he shall have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Uh, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what we've got to get focused on right mm -hmm. now. But, but of course, many would object and say this is all going to happen after the parousia that you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. And I mean, there are many objections that I know would come to a lot of people's minds as you're describing these things. You mentioned social reform earlier. Mm -hmm. Well, and one of the objections to much of what you're talking about is that, you know, when you start talking about these difficult, troubling social issues being overcome in history, when you hold to that view, it often leads to, you know, an overemphasis on social right. reform or social justice even. And really, aren't you, how are you any better than the Marxists? Mm -hmm. Yes. So I think um, there's a couple of problems that are, that are going on there. First of all, there's an attempt to... This isn't my objection. No, 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 of course. I understand that, Nathan. <laughs> You're fired. Where did you, where did you, you find this you, guy? You gave me a look there. <laughs> What's with your friend? <laughs> well, those questions, are they yours? Both of them? <laughs> um, I, the, the, the first thing is, I think, you can see there an attempt to separate the 
internal from the external reality of, of the kingdom. As though you can have this internal regeneration, renewal of the heart, that somehow doesn't make its way out into our external life. Um, I've never seen the logic of a separation of the work, the kingdom works that Christ calls us to do, and the transformation of our hearts. Uh, they're involved in each other. In fact, Scripture says that, that guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. It's the thing from which all the other aspects of, of our, our lives uh, develop. They're rooted in the heart. So the transformation of the heart implies new creation, and it, Im it implies working the works of God. And so um, the, it's important, of course, that... Um, we don't imagine that we can overcome, you know, sin-driven alienation um, from God humanistically. Mm. That is the secularization of our perspective. Uh, we, um, we, there is only a transcendent solution to the problem of history. Mm. We can't say, well, there's an imminent solution, and that is man just needs to, you know, get on with, you know, good social reform. Um, if we don't carry on our work, uh, our cultural life, in terms of the power of God, in terms of the power of the Holy Spirit, we doom to frustration because there will be the ups and downs, the, the peaks and troughs, the, the, va the, the valleys and the mountaintops, and you can't live on the mountaintop. There are mm -hmm. always setbacks. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know that in our own, your own life, you're in your own marriage, mm -hmm. and you're in, in all, every area of cultural development, it's struggle, it's battle. Um, but the scriptural view is not simply that God is saving individual souls. Uh, but he is inheriting the nations. Um, in um, in Psalm, sorry, in Isaiah nineteen twenty four through twenty five, um, God declares that his people, uh, that Egypt is his people, and Assyria is his handiwork. Um, he's he's bringing nations to himself, mm -hmm. and there's an expectation that uh, the the treasures of the nations will be brought to him. Look mm -hmm. at uh, Psalm seventy two, which is the mm -hmm. founding motto of our mm -hmm. country, of mm -hmm. course, uh, yeah. uh, here, here in Canada. Mm -hmm. So this idea that we can somehow separate kingdom works from kingdom life, like it's this whole thing that. I would put it this way. Sometimes people say, you know, you've got an over-realized eschatology if you think that, you know, we can see progress for the kingdom in history. It's like, no, you've got an under-realized soteriology. Mm. Uh, salvation is somehow imprisoned in the idea that I'm personally justified and I've got my personal justification and my soul is saved and my soul is going to heaven. Mm. Oh, and, and if... I can escape this world with a, re with a with a with a with a physical body. That would be great, but there's but there's no sense of it beyond that, mm. and that's not a scriptural mm. idea. It's mm. a very Greek idea. It's a very pagan idea, mm. except a prominent for the, idea. Yeah, except mm. for the escape of the body, of course, because mm. that doesn't even escape in Greek thought. But it's not a scriptural idea, mm -hmm. and so that kind of false dichotomy, um, you know, James, James, the apostle James, totally refutes it. Uh, Faith without works is dead. I'll show you my faith by what I do. Hmm. Now, of course, Luther, who was wrestling with the the, the opposite pole, you know, where, mm. where all the emphasis was laid on justification rather than on mm. God's sovereignty, is mm -hmm. where Calvin yeah. laid it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Luther tries to make justification bear too much weight, and therefore he calls James the epistle of straw, famously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, well, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty tricky thing to say. Uh, you know, um, ab- are we justified by faith? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I'll show you that faith mm-hmm. by what I do. Mm-hmm. And the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God has to be worked out in our lives. So that's how I would respond to that first one. What was mm-hmm. the second uh, um, incredibly well, impertinent remark you made? Just what what what's the difference? And you did allude to this, but what's the difference between uh, what you're advocating and a mm-hmm. paganized Marxist view of social justice? Sure. Uh, well, uh, let's just highlight two things. First mm-hmm. of all, for the secular culture, for you know, pagan culture. Um, as we've outlined it, you've got a, you've got this struggle between two completely different directions. One is the direction of obe- covenant faithfulness, obedience to God in terms of the power of the Holy Spirit. The other is self-creation, recreation, regeneration in terms of man's idea, uh, in terms of a, an apostate principle where something within creation is deified. Mm. Um, we mm. don't believe that we bring the kingdom of God in by our own efforts. This, this is the, one of the fallacies. Jesus says he is building his kingdom. We've been given the gospel of the kingdom to declare and make manifest. It's he's doing it through us. Mm. So it's the Holy Spirit who is bringing the, the, the world um, into our understanding of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Right. And it's by, it's by the power of the Holy. This is why the disciples are told. They're not, Jesus doesn't say, right, all authority is given to me. Go out and be a brilliant social reformer. He says, go mm-hmm. and wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Mm-hmm. And so the power, and we talked about the fact the power is not demonic. The Holy <laughs> Spirit is the one who gives us power, it's pa- but it's power from on high. Um, and that power is at work with us, within us to willing to do of his good pleasure. pleasure. Scripture says that he has prepared in advance works for us to do. So the difference, the fundamental difference is that ours is done through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. As, as we live in faithfulness and obedience, Christ establishes his kingdom. We are vicegerents. In the other view, man is God, mm-hmm. usually personified in man enlarged the mm-hmm. state, state yeah. and through man's work he will recreate himself and bring about his own social justice his own egalitarian mm-hmm. equalitarian utopia mm-hmm. and then he'll call that the kingdom of god mm-hmm. and of course as that has invaded the church we're seeing increasingly people try and identify that idea of equalitarian social justice with the kingdom of god mm-hmm. now that's the enemy in the camp in the sense that that's a pagan unbelieving apostate idea trying to find a home in and is often being given at the front pew in the church Mm -hmm. the second thing is of course is that the principle by which we work for the kingdom the manifesto of the kingdom is the word of god is scripture it's the law of god whereas in this other view uh the manifesto um is not the word of god it's man's philosophical ideas Mm -hmm. it's the um, that are always th- changing. That are constantly changing. So it moves from, you know, the Karl Marx's economic utopia, his Marx and Engels uh, communist manifesto, to the uh, humanist manifesto, too, to now the cultural Marxist uh, uh, vision of reality. This constant sense, constant flux. Hmm. Now, 
there is a certain amount of change in the, the kingdom. The kingdom of God by its nature, as we've said before on our podcast, is not static. So that's another difference. Marx envisioned a kind of static a kingdom uh, a reality where after this revolution, you know, man is just, you know, doing poetry and mm. hunting and fornicating mm. and so on with no work and so on uh, because he reaches this static point. It, it, there's the omega point, yeah. whatever you want to call it in the language of the evolutionary uh, uh, progressives. Um, but even in in the kingdom of God, even in heaven, even in the kingdom of heaven, I should say, in heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, there is kingdom work to do. There are nations yeah. to rule. There is God to serve. Uh, we don't believe in some kind of workless, you know, Adam in paradise worked and tended and kept the garden. Work wasn't a curse. Mm. Futility was added to work because of sin, but work itself is not a curse. So there are many differences between those two ideas, but I grant you that they're often conflated and we can be accused when we have a transformationalist view of culture, of the kingdom of God, the principle of the kingdom of God, which is, I would argue, plain as day in scripture, we're often accused of being um, uh, social gospelers or or importing the, these foreign ideas into to, to our vision. When William Wilberforce was about his, you know, famous cultural reforms in England, he didn't see himself as doing this in terms of his own power, his own authority. Mm -hmm. He had a wonderful letter from John Wesley. I wish I'd brought that book up now to the Knox cellar here. But the the, the very last letter John Wesley ever wrote mm -hmm. was a letter to William Wilberforce. Mm. It was the last letter before he died. And it's a one it's a beautiful letter. It's very short. And in it he basically says to to Wilberforce, if he says, go on in this struggle. Mm. He urges mm. him, go on in the strength of God. But he says, if if this work is not done in the strength of God, in the power of God, mm -hmm. you'll be worn out by men and devils mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and you will be, um, you, it'll be just an endless sense of futility. Mm. But he says, if you go on, but but go on in the power and strength of God. Uh, until he said even that uh, even American slavery says the worst that ever saw the sun that was a bit of an exaggeration it wasn't the worst that ever saw the sun it was bad but it wasn't the worst that saw the sun um, he said even that shall be gone shall disappear under the power of the, the weight of the gospel and that was Wilberforce's hope and in mm. fact it, that's reflected in Wilberforce's own writings where he says his hope is not in England's armies and navies and social reform but it's in the fact that England still contains a praying people. Mm. So all that, that Wilberforce did there, the, the, the incredible achievements of him and his, the group that, that, mm. that surrounded him, mm -hmm. and there were many that surrounded him, uh, that we look back on with some degree of astonishment, he saw that as coming about through the power of prayer mm -hmm. and the power of the gospel, mm -hmm. and he made his appeal to God's covenant and God's word. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about. So I know that we, there are these cavils from, from the edges that... Uh, that, that somehow this is some sort of secular idea. Nothing could be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's why even in a cultural moment like ours where there is much to be disturbed by, troubled by, concerned about, um, we cannot walk in any sense of anxiety or fear. Tomorrow's, uh, today's got enough trouble to, mm. uh, of its own. We shouldn't be anxious about tomorrow. Um, we know who holds the future. Uh, the Lord holds, holds, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. Um, 
and kings and princes and rulers and governors, they flourish one day, uh, and like the grass of the field, Scripture says they're gone the next. Is it the psalmist, I think, who says, I saw the wicked and he was flourishing like a green mm -hmm. bay tree, mm -hmm. yeah. and then I passed by him again and he was gone. Mm -hmm. And that's why uh, in the law of God we read, their foot shall slide in due time. So our task is to be faithful, uh, to trust Christ to declare the gospel of the kingdom and leave the historical results to him, knowing that the very idea of history rests on the notion of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's a real antidote to, uh, I think, the, fe the feeling of powerlessness that uh, I think a lot of Christians are experiencing. I mean, we're, we've, got, we're, we've got curfews being debated mm -hmm. here. We're being mm -hmm. told when we can and cannot go outside. Yeah. And I think uh, what you're saying is a a, a, a needed uh, mm -hmm. yeah, antidote. I don't have a better word for it than that. Well, the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the gospel of the kingdom gives us the principle of resistance mm. to all of that. Um, and that doesn't mean the resistance is going to be easy. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a struggle because we're in a struggle for the direction of history. We're in, a, we're in, a, we're in, a, we're in an all-out, unending struggle, as as we saw in that Kuiper quote, for the formation of culture uh, in terms of the kingdom of God. Um, God is, Christ is uh, sovereign in the process. He, the Holy Spirit is at work in all of it. But we are agents in that struggle because we're called to be vicegerents and we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. And so as ambassadors for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we have to challenge those things. We, we have a principle of resistance. And as we talk about endlessly on the podcast, the kingdom of God implies, as we've seen, the principle of sphere sovereignty. Christ is Lord. He governs all these spheres of life, mm -hmm. and they must surrender to him. They are different law spheres which must come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that, there are not many Christian views of politics. There are not many valid Christian views of government. There's only mm -hmm. one valid view. Mm -hmm. One valid view, and that is that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he, is, he demands and commands all princes, all authorities, all kings, all men, all nations, every family, to submit itself to the lordship of Christ and his word. The Bible's unequivocal about this. Mm -hmm. And so that is our principle of resistance. And that is why the West became free, that's why the birth of, the, of, of freedom was with the birth of the true freedom was with the birth of the church. And it's why freedom grew in scope, not in a straight line of progress, but through many ups and downs and mistakes and so on. And it's why, as we are repaganizing, we are seeing the steady evaporation of freedom. Mm -hmm. And so we have to reassert the Christian principle, and it's going to be painful, and it's going to cost us something. Um, and we may need to think through all kinds of strategies to continue to live in freedom and what that means and how we can do that. I mean, Jesus himself said, if they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, you know, just, uh, you know, hit me again uh, and, uh, you know, until I'm pounded into dust. We're not doormats. Um, in fact, Jesus presupposed, in fact, that in fact he told the disciples that when Jerusalem was going to be destroyed, flee to the mountains. Um, so it doesn't mean we're stupid and just walk into uh, these situations. We have to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves, but we have a principle of resistance. If the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. 
And um, that's the that's a kingdom principle. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe, that's uh, that's a great place to uh, to end up. You've mentioned ruling and subduing uh, a couple of times in our uh, our time here today, and I think that that's the that's the message that even even in such a time as this, mm-hmm. there is there is work to do. There is a, a cultural mandate and a discipleship mandate uh, for us as God's people to fulfill. Mm-hmm. And as we're doing that, the Lord is putting all his enemies under his feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We destroy mm-hmm. arguments and every high thing that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Mm-hmm. What does that leave out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there's, a, there's an earnestness to, uh, to everything that we're doing in the here and now, but as you said, there's a humility to all of that where we're trusting the historical, result, the historical results mm-hmm. to God. Mm-hmm. That's right. Guys, thank you both for being here. Really appreciated and enjoyed this time. For all of you listening, uh, this has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. You can uh, listen, subscribe, find out more about us at ezrainstitute.ca. Thanks for listening. We remind you once again that from him, through him, and to him, that's Jesus Christ, are all things. To God be the glory, and we'll see you next week. down as a prophecy every year about this time